Welcome, Action Alerts Plus members, to the latest edition of the AAP podcast. I am uh, Chris Versace, one of the co-portfolio managers, and as always, I'm joined by my partner in crime, your other co-portfolio manager, the one, the only, Bob Lang. And it has been a uh, crazy week here as we start the second week of November. Last week was, of course, a very big one. A lot of, lot, lot of, lot of, lot, a lot, a lot of earnings. Uh, we also had the Fed meeting and a lot of uh, key economic data, including those pesky PMIs for both the manufacturing and services economy. I know we've got a lot of stuff going on this week, too. We got the midterm elections. We've got another smattering of earnings, but also the retail pivot. And of course, the September consumer price index, all of which could really upend expectations uh, for the Fed's December monetary policy meeting. So with that, uh, Bob, quite the busy week. Did I miss anything? Well, yeah, um, for this week. No, no, no. no. I, You're supposed to say no. No, you didn't miss no. anything at all, Chris. You're right on. For, the, for this week, no, you didn't miss anything. But, but I have to ask you, Chris, um, did you forget to set your clocks back Saturday night? And, uh, uh, no, I did not. In fact, I enjoyed an extra hour of snooze time. That's why you can tell right now I am ready to go. You look you look very relaxed and very refreshed and and, and energized too. So yeah, I, the, I the only uh, thing you left out there, Dick Nixon, is tan. <laughs> well, that too. So uh, um, no, it was good. It was a good weekend, and um, uh, you know what? Really fired up and and ready to go for this week. I'm I'm actually going to be out in California. I'm leaving tomorrow for um, for about a week or so. Um, but I will be, of course, be on with the uh, podcast again with you next Monday. But um, well, I, that's great you're going to be out there because I, I really want to hear about the other side of the country, both not only what they're paying in terms of gas prices, which as I, I've seen of, you know, are still in some areas north of $6 a gallon, but I'm also just kind of curious to what you're seeing you know, on lines, not only at the airport, we can of course use that as a check-in for Clear Secure, but also just you know, stores in and around as we head into this you know, uh, holiday shopping season. National Retail Federation, you know, we talked about this uh, last week in our roundup and other writings to members. Uh, they see holiday sales up six to 8% year over year. And, and remember, they define it as the month of November, the month of December. They do not go into January which is really big for the return season. So also, and, uh, also the uh, also the gift cards, Chris. January and February is huge for uh, when people get gift cards for the holidays, right? Totally agree. Yeah, I mean it, it's it, I mean you can't spend it unless you get it before Christmas, but then it wouldn't be a Christmas present. So right. um, I think you're right. I mean, there there could be some immediate spending right away, but typically we see that flow through January, February. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I was going to get to this later on, but since we're talking about it now, I, I really do think this is going to be one of the trickier uh, holiday shopping seasons. I, I think we've got some pull forward, right? A Amazon had their prime event not too long ago. Um, other retailers tried to match that, but we're also seeing, Bob, more layoffs starting to hit the tape. You know, Twitter last week, there's chatter that Meta is going to do some. My understanding is that some folks from uh, Microsoft were on, you know, the various cable programs. We won't need, we don't need to talk about which one. And they were saying that, you know, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, cut our costs. Uh, Amazon, I think you were chatting about that on the roundup that, you know, they're looking to remain lean as well. So, you know, that's, that's a real damper. I hate to say it, understand companies have to do it, but from a consumer perspective, you know, you're sitting there, you're, you're staring down, you know, higher food bills, higher energy bills, which are only going to get worse given the cold snap we're going to get 
uh, coming up that's actually boosting natural gas, good for XLE. Uh, and I promise, Bob, I, I will let you get a word in in a second. Um, <laughs> but um, but what I was going to say is I, I, I just I, I'm a little concerned about the NRF forecast. I think it might be a little robust. I agree. And and and, and frankly, with the, um, the I don't I'm not sure how they factor in uh, energy prices and, and, and into people's budgets. Uh, and the fact that, uh, you know, we we did have a robust jobs report last Friday, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm seeing signs that that could probably be the last big robust jobs report that we that we're having for quite some time, which means that, you know, job creation is probably going to be slowing down quite substantially over the next several months. And I saw some report, Chris, uh, over the weekend that um, some somebody is forecasting zero job growth in the first quarter of 2023. And that uh, that means that, uh, you know, G uh, GDP is going to be coming down quite sharply. It's a huge contributor to uh, to growth in the economy. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a little I'm a little bit miffed here. But, you know, I think I think the NRF is probably taking uh, taking the stance that, uh, you know, with huge markdowns coming up from like Target and Walmart, even Amazon, some of these are retailers, um, that there, there's going to be huge sales going on. Margins not so good, but huge sales. That's all they really care about, right? So I, I think you're right on that. Um, I, I will point out that the National Retail Federation tends to be a little bit like our good friends over at the Atlanta Fed with their GDP now model. Uh, when they're wrong, they tend to be wrong to the upside. Yeah. Right. Meaning meaning that they tend to overestimate the spending. So we'll, we'll have to see, um, you know, look, the, the next couple of days, we're going to be getting a lot of other holiday shopping forecasts. We already have one for MasterCard several weeks ago. I imagine Visa will be talking about it. And then, you know, there's there's a whole kit and caboodle of third-party research firms and accounting firms like Deloitte, for example, PwC, that tend to put out their forecasts. But for me, I, I think where the rubber is going to hit the road, and we, we mentioned this in some comments out earlier uh, today on Monday, that we start to see retail earnings coming. Ralph Lauren, Capri, um, as well as Tapestry, and I think Dillard's is another one that are all out this week. So it's going to be really interesting to hear what they have to say about inventories, what they have to say about um, markdowns like you were talking, and really what their forecast is. And, and I say some of this because there was a report that we touched on, again, in our morning comments on Monday, that um, is from Alignable. 37% of small business owners in the U.S. were unable to pay their rent in full and on time in October. That's up from 30% in September. That's a, that's but here's the other. But here, here's the other thing. This is really what jumped out at me. Fifty-nine, five-nine, fifty-nine percent of small business owners taking the poll reported that consumers are spending less in October than they did in September. I and I don't particularly think that they're <clears throat> saving money for those Christmas purchases. I as well. You know, I mean, look, I, I think Christmas season is a year-round event. I think people buy buy stuff for Christmas for the holidays. In July, especially during Amazon's Prime Day, they probably bought some in October for that Amazon's event. Then, um, you know, Singles Day coming up um, on Friday, Chris, Alibaba's event. People, mm -hmm. people are buying stuff all year round um, for 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 Christmas holiday season. So I don't particularly think that it's saving money up to really attack the stores and the uh, and the online uh, sales places. Um, from th from Thanksgiving Black Friday on, do you agree? So so you so you won't be there uh, December twenty fourth at the mall eight o'clock knocking on the door screaming, "Let me in! I got to buy some socks for somebody." 
I'll be sleeping, Chris. <laughs> I'll, I'll be I'll be dreaming about uh, what what I what I could or should be doing. <laughs> if Got I <was> it. <laughs> so I I think you're right. I think there's to some extent there is some pull forward that we've seen. You know, we've seen this with back to school shopping as well. And I think it's I I think some of it's natural. I I think it's hard to pin down exactly how much. To me, the bigger issue is when we think about this holiday shopping season. If it's up three percent, four percent, that's those are spending dollars. But given the inflation data, it probably means that the actual volume of purchases are down. And, and of course, is is you know we talked about we do have to try and guesstimate over what all the bloated inventory and markdowns you know to move them are going to do. But I, I still remain concerned that retail could be a challenging place heading into 2023 between the inventories we had. And the potential inventories that you know show up coming out of the holiday shopping season. Remember, a lot of spending we've been hearing about is skewed more towards experiences and travel, not stuff. Well, if, well, if I had to uh, um, <clears throat> use the analogy of, of of a meal, this week would be the appetizer. Next week would be the the full course dinner with Walmart, I believe, Target, and the retail sales number coming out all next week. And a slew of other uh, number. I number. I, I want to say Nordstroms and Macy's are coming out. Um, maybe Home Depot and Lowe's as well too. So it's 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 a huge week for um, for retail sales um, uh, delivery um, before uh, just before Thanksgiving. So we'll get we'll get a good good read on on where they think um, holiday sales are going to go. Totally agree. Totally agree. But let's uh, let let's move on because before we get to that economic data, we we've got a bunch of other things that are happening. Um, again, as, as we're taping uh, this on Monday, November 7th, the day before Election Day, we actually have the midterm elections um, tomorrow. And what's interesting is even though we may not know exactly the full results for a couple days, given mail-in ballots and other things, um, what I found interesting is that historically speaking, after the midterms, the market tends to be pretty solid. Yep. No, it is pretty solid. And uh, that's historical data. However, you know, we, we always have to supplant the um, <clears throat> the notion that um, in, in this environment, right, in this environment, this is a we're, we're in a Fed hawkish raising interest rates environment. So, you know, we, we're not always in that um, playing field where um, around the midterms where the Fed is, is in hawkish mode. You know, there always has to be that default. Where is the Fed? And the mm -hmm. Fed is extremely hawkish right now, and they're 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 likely going to be. We're we're looking for a huge print on um, on CPI on Thursday. So regardless of whether you know the uh, the Democrats or the Republicans, I think there's a lot of hyperbolic um, language going out there talking about you know what's going to happen if the if the Republicans regain control of the House or the Senate or both. You know a split. Uh, you know the the notion of a split House or a just a split level of between the executive and the legislative branch. Is usually a positive because it means mm -hmm. gridlock and people aren't gonna aren't gonna have to worry about things getting passed that they don't really want that really or they don't support. I think that, that notion there is is valid, but I think in the short term it, we have to remain focused, or the long term and, and certainly in the intermediate term, where is the Fed and how are they managing the um, monetary policy going forward? So you know, a lot of people were caught off guard by what happened last week with the November Fed meeting. You know, you and I not us. One of my well, <laughs> that's right. That's right. But we, we use one of our, you know, my my favorite terms. We, we we try to recognize when things are really changing in the marketplace, you know, as they say, for reals. 
but we also have to be aware of when, you know, and this is my favorite word that you, you know, love, Bob, hopium is creeping into the market um, and, and really understand the difference. And, and I and I think really by, again, you know, I, I know this sounds kind of trite, but listening to the data, not inferring into it what we want to see or hear is crucial. And it's how we've really navigated and, and avoided a number of pitfalls so far in 2022. Ha, have we been perfect? No, we have not. But but we we continue to be careful and, and always thinking about what's coming at us so we can position correctly. But Bob, you know, do you think the September CPI could really cement, at least for now, the thought that it's 50 or 75 in December in terms of basis points by the Fed? Yeah, as I looked this morning, uh, it's about a 50-50 chance of 50 basis points and uh, 75. So it's it's actually leaning a little bit more towards 50. So 52 to 48. So let's just let's just let's splitting hairs there, half and half chance, um, and that's going to change significantly. Uh, the Cleveland Fed, uh, looking at the now casting, Chris, on mm-hmm, information, mm-hmm. is uh, looking for a um, month over month annualized inflation reading of 9.12 percent oh my god that's crazy 9.12 so and that's down a little bit from where it was in the beginning of the month um they're they're also projecting out for november as well too of course we were only a week into november but they're also projecting that to come in at about eight percent chris so that's still very very high um and the year over year numbers uh at 8.12 and like 8.1 so very hot and then you say well well maybe the core number is coming down maybe the core number is no, it's not six percent, Chris, on the uh, on the month over month and the year over year for inflation and on the core. So, um, you know, the, the the Fed has a dilemma here, and the dilemma is that you know, I mean, do we do we go full bore at inflation, and if they do, do they um, risk uh, derailing the economy? Um, I think at this point, and the stock market at the same time. I think at this point in time, they don't really care about the latter; they care about the former, and they need to really take care of business and and, and snuff out the inflation. Otherwise, the alternative or the, the consequences of that are destructive. I agree with you. Uh, the one thing that I, I think we need to recognize, though, is that, you know, given the timing of the Fed's meeting, I think it concludes December 14th, right? Yeah. That means that we have uh, this round of CPI and then PPI next week, and then we have another round of inflation data uh, including the November CPI PPI that comes out right before the Fed concludes that meeting. So my, my suspicion is that we're going to continue to see these December expectations kind of, you know, move a little move a little to the left and move a little to the right. And I think, you know, subject to everything else, that, that's going to continue to influence the market. Hey, oh, maybe it'll be slower. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. And, you know, we, te- we seem to be trapped in that, everybody says this, that Groundhog Day like, you know, phenomena. Um, But I I think the message that Powell laid out last week was something that we had expected. uh, And that message was rates are going to go higher. They may not go, you know, immediately there, but they're going to go higher. We mean business and do not expect a rate cut for some time. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe, I, I mean, I'm guessing, and completely guess, well, guess, maybe the earliest, later 2024 or early 2025. That's a long time from now, two yeah. years. Well, we'll see. Well, I think we'll have to see. I mean, look, a lot, a lot can change between now and then. Yeah. But I think I, I think they're they're clearly communicating that if you're looking for a rate cut in 2023, as, as of right now, don't expect it. Don't expect it. Yeah. And, and, okay. and frankly, um, you know, uh, 
the market has um, mostly been mostly been right, but only at the time the, the 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 market needs to make adjustments. So in other words, Thursday, Chris, we'll have the CPI reading, and the next Tuesday is the PPI reading. Um, <clears throat> so the market makes the adjustments in real time, right there. They're not the market is not making an adjustment ahead of time, which is important right. because most people out there are trying to jump ahead of the Fed and say, okay, well, I I think prices are going to go down. I just got a tweet from somebody today, Chris, saying that, well, I expect uh, prices to go down in October and that that CPI number to go down. Well, where's the evidence? I don't see it. You know, the Fed's not saying it. You know, I I I went to the grocery store the other day and I'm 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 paying lots and lots more money for groceries than I did a year ago. So I don't I don't I don't I don't understand where the where the <clears throat> thesis is on that. You know, and I, I I guess there's some hopium there that people that prices are going to come down. And you know, I I eventually it will. Chris, you know what we know that at some point in time in the future, the Fed is going to. I hate to use Wait, that. Pivot they'll word. win. At some point, they will win. Yeah, some, some the, the Fed's going to win, and at some point in time, prices are going to start coming down, right? I, right. I, I think. But you know what? When you think about the conditions that we're in today, with a strong jobs market, with a GDP that just printed 2.6, okay? And the Atlanta and Fed people, sees 3.6% for the current right. quarter. That's right. Crazy. So, I mean, all that stacked up together tells you that demand is not going away and people are still willing to pay those higher prices that are out there in the grocery store, at the pump, at the restaurants, anywhere you go, or at the car dealership. They're willing to pay those high prices, which is antithetical from what the Fed is trying to accomplish here. Yeah, my my suspicion is, and I you know I, I know you alluded, to, you mentioned this earlier that uh, someone's thinking, oh, we see net zero job growth for the March quarter of 2023. We'll see. I my my suspicion is that we're going to have to see job growth really slow. Uh, maybe it zeroes out. Maybe there's a little contraction at some point in terms of job creation. Then we're going to see some pressure on wages, right? In terms of that employment report, and that's really what's going what what it's going to take. I think. I hate to say that. I be I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I think that's what we have to see. Well, and and then there's this uh, um, this line that the uh, line in the sand that was pushed upwards, meaning upwards in wages, right? You've got minimum wage, um, a lot of places that are $15, $16 an hour. That's not going any lower. Right? No, well, you have to remember, those were staggered multi-year increases, right? So it wasn't like you would go from 9 to 15. You'd go 9 to 11 to 13. And we're, we'll, we'll continue to see at least some of those phase in. So I, I think you're right. I, I think it's, there's some of it that's kind of uh, embedded. But, right. but the other thing, though, just just to, to talk about this, um, you know, we've been uh, very much watching like a bird's eye view on earnings expectations for second half of 2022 and really for 2023. And we've seen them start to come down as we move through the earnings season. I think right now, if I remember the stats correctly, it's like 85% of the S&P 500 has reported. And yes, expectations have come down both for 20, for the fourth quarter of 2022. And we've seen them inch lower formally for 2023. But, you know, we said we think we need to see more. Goldman Sachs comes out, Bob, and they cut their earnings expectations. That's right. Double zero. Snake eyes, goose egg uh, for 2023. And they reduced from up 3% to now, again, saying they expect S&P 500 earnings to be flat in 2023. And I suspect others will follow suit. And I, and again, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, negative Nancy call it what you will. Sorry to Debbie and Nancy there. But um, 
you know, <laughs> there's more room to go lower. There's more would, room for that for those numbers to go even lower. I was just going to say is that, you know, did you think that those are even rosy expectations for 2020? I, you know, it, look, we know that this is always an evolving landscape, right? We can't say, ah, it's here, it's done, we're over. No, there's always more to the story. And we, we need to factor all this, you know, upcoming, uh, you know, data, story points, signposts, call it what you will, into our thinking, whether it's on the funnel basis, excuse me, fundamental basis, or as you do every day on the technical side, right? This is an evolving landscape and evolving story. So we always have to be, uh, you know, paying attention. So uh, for now, you know, it is, there is reason to think that 0% growth might be a little uh, rosy for 2023. It'll be interesting to see when we finally get the quarterly breakdown for the year, uh, you know as well as I, the second half tends to be a little, you know, loaded, um, but we'll see. You know, and 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 you know, and you've we we've worked long enough, uh, we've worked long enough together so that you know when I when I'm skeptical skeptical about these numbers, particularly when they called for outsized growth late in the year. And I think this, uh, you said since you you said eight, about eighty five percent of the companies have reported already, and I think well, S and P five hundred companies, yeah. So I, I think so. That's over 425 companies. So I would say, by and large, most of these companies have, you know, come out and and been a little bit more cautious about about things in 2023. I think some companies out there, um, mildly aggressive uh, and mildly positive, optimistic, let's say. Um, but I think for the most part, a lot of these companies have come out and, and with a little with a little bit of. Um, uh, shyness when it comes to their their numbers for for 2023, and I think for good reason. You know, they they really don't they're really uncertainty. And I was expecting to hear a lot of the V word. Um, we don't have visibility, but we didn't hear much of that in um in these last this last quarter. I no, no, I I think you're right. I th I th I think I think what complicates it at this time of year, the majority of companies are just giving guidance for the December quarter. It's really not till we get into January, February when they wrap their um, their calendar year, do they issue full year guidance? Some some did, like American Waterworks gave some great guidance, totally reiterated their seven to nine percent EPS target, um, as well as the seven to nine percent dividend growth target. I mean, that's that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, we saw some earnings last week from SIBO and from mm -hmm. Amen, Amen mm -hmm. Health. Great guidance, uh, great hit the numbers out of the ballpark. Um, I think the SIBO numbers were were outstanding. Um, you know, raised their organic growth uh, uh, estimates from what nine to eleven to fourteen to sixteen. Now, who does yeah, that? Right yeah, now? yeah, for this year, right? for this. Year. But but think of what we've been saying though, right? About the how the market volatility is here to stay, uh, at least I think honestly through the end of the first quarter of 2023. So what what are people doing? Look, you, you're you're an options guy. You know this. People, whether individual, institutional, or individual, they're out there trying to protect the portfolio that they have. So I, I'm not surprised that month after month since we've had the position in SIBO, that SIBO is putting up record options numbers. I agree, that, agree with that. And, uh, you know, a, a month after month. And, uh, you know, eventually the stock is going to reflect that. Or it's just still in this bear market right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally agree. Now, w one thing about the bear market, I, I know on the rundown for today, the daily video that we do every day, uh, shifting back and forth, that one of the topics was divergence. Is there is there anything that you need to kind of add to that? At, you know, given what you said, because it, it is kind of interesting what's going on. And I, I watched the video, and you know, the the thing that jumped out at me that you said the most probably was, look, there are no market leaders right now. 
Yeah, Mar unfortunately, we're lacking market leadership here. I think, you know, I think Energy earlier this year, Chris tried to take the baton and 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 run, and become leaders. Uh, you know, a lot of those stocks are doing well, but you know, how much longer is that gonna is that gonna go? I know we 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 did add the XLE sort of late in the game. We're probably in the sixth inning of this uh, of this ball game and now now we're in the seventh eighth inning right now perhaps and um i don't know if we're at the at the tail end of that of that move i think there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> energy demand uh going through the through the pipeline all over the all over the globe but um but yeah as you said there's a lack of leadership right now um leaders that we had in the past like um the technology names nvidia these companies are not leaders any longer and um so when the leadership evaporates the money flow goes away from those names into someplace else. Where is it right now? I don't know. For a little while, it was healthcare, it was biotech. And again, it was energy. Um, I don't really see, um, you know, even even some time ago, a year ago, it was uh, crypto. So I don't I don't really see um, so, what that leadership is right now. So it, it, let, me, let me just make sure I'm clear on this. It's not that it vanishes, right? It just simply morphs into a new area or set of areas, right? So what's what's interesting about that is, you know, and I, I'm just looking at, you know, the AAP portfolio, you know, in a bouncy day to day, you know, AMN got the accolades, you know, after the earnings report, given a couple price target increases. No, no real surprise there because we did the same. Elevance is moving up. We look at Lockheed Martin, which has been a champ for the portfolio. Awesome. Right. So and we even look at Vulcan Materials that's moving higher. You know what they all have in common? They all have these pain point spending out of Washington, greater visibility characteristics that we've been talking about. And what, what I wonder is, you know, I, I as you know, and we, we haven't talked about it too much here, but um, I, I firmly believe the notion that sector investing is dead, right? That you really need to seek out companies that are benefiting from pronounced tailwinds. So when, when I when I look at that, Right. It's not, oh, this sector is the one to buy. It's it's understanding who's to benefit. I think it's all about stock picking, Chris. I think the stock selection and stock picking. And, and you know, I mean, for years, I, that, that's been kind of like my um, uh, my bread and butter. Can I pick stocks um, and not get punished by the rest of the market? You know, you're 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 an excellent stock picker. Finding. Wow. Finding I have my things. moments. I have my moments. Yeah. Well, you know, we you know, we all we, we all have good and bad moments. But I think for the most part, um, uh, you, you've been around for a long time that you you know how to you, you know how to intuitively find um, good stocks and good plays. I mean, I look at the thematic portfolio that you that you put together with all the research that you do there, um, and you're and you're you're ahead of everybody else. You're 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 I appreciate further that. ahead. You're you're down this down the street, down the you know, miles away of, of, from everybody. So um, that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of pattern that you that you exhibit. So it's a stock picking environment right now, and uh, um, you know, it it you're going to be rewarded if you select stocks um, uh, the right way. Totally agree. Now, one one other thing that I want to touch on, because it it's a little counterintuitive, I, I think, to to most people. But like for example, we saw um, a better than expected employment report in terms of numbers. Wages were, of course, continuing to be hot. You would think this would, you know, the market mentality would say, oh boy, this is of course going to pave the pave the way for the Fed. Got it. But volatility fell. Now, that, that seems kind of counterintuitive. What what do you make of that? So um, <clears throat> we saw volatility um, rising uh, about a month and a half ago, six weeks ago. And we mm -hmm. were in we were in this level of 30 percent, Chris, for about 13, 14 consecutive days. 
kind of unprecedented. And so what is what is 30 percent volatility rec, uh, uh, represent? So it, by the rule of 16. So what you do is you mm -hmm. take volatility to try to see what what is the anticipated amount of move in the market in a particular day. So you take six. Let's just do let's just take uh, easy numbers. Let's say the VIX is at 32 divided by 16. So that comes up with two. So your the market expectation is for the markets are going to move 2% a day. What is 2% a day? Well, if the S&P 500 is 3,700 or 3,800 as it is today, that's a 76 point move up and down, either up or down or some kind of com combination. That's a that's a large move. You know, it's going to make people um, you know feel like they're on a on a roller coaster ride, getting sick to their stomach. So um, we had more than that um, on last Wednesday after the Fed meeting. We actually had a three and a half percent move. Yet, as you mentioned, volatility didn't move. And the reason why the VIX doesn't move, Chris, or it moves downward, is because mm -hmm. you release a lot of that um, tension, that pressure. I, I, I they say coming out of you know, releasing air from a tire, right? You, you release that air pressure, and what happens is that it deflates, and the volatility deflates because all that news is out. Right. You don't have to worry about the Fed anymore. It's gone. I mean, you can make or have a reaction or response to it and pay attention to it, but it's, it's gone. It's out. So what's going to happen tomorrow after the midterm elections? If we have some results, all that news will be out. And volatility is going to deflate again. What happens after the CPI? All that all that anxiety and that's being built up in front of that CPI is just going to be let out like an air, like air through a tire. So um, I think the, the, the VIX is something of an increasingly um, interesting indicator because people want to buy um, protection. Yet right now, people are saying that, okay, well, they're, they're of the understanding that, yes, the Fed is raising interest rates. They're not going to stop. Yes, the economy is slowing down. Yes, all, the, all these knowns right now. Why does the VIX rise when it like it did back in March of 2020? It went up to 90%. What actually went one of some of the highest levels we'd ever seen. Why did it go up? It's because we didn't know what was going to happen? I think the doomsday scenario, the end of the world as we know it scenario, is being priced in. Of course, that never happens. You know, thank right. goodness it's never paid off, right? And, so, and let's let, let's just remember March 2020 pandemic. That's the, yeah, the pandemic. very start of the pandemic. So, so who knew how that was going to play out? How was that going to look when it, when the pandemic was? We didn't know how uh, how right. how right. many people were going to die or how many people were going to get sick when a uh, you know all the solutions. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we didn't really know. So people just said, shoot first, ask questions later when it comes to their stocks and their investments. Let me get rid of them right now. I don't want to be around for something like this. So everybody started heading for the exits at one time and they started buying volatility. Mm -hmm. And that's why it went up because it was uncertainty. Right now, we don't have any uncertainty. We just we know stocks are expensive. We know stocks have been going down. We know the Fed is going to all this, all these things, all these known ent uh, quantities here. Um, so there's no really reason to to buy extra extra insurance. People have insurance right now. People are own, own puts. People um, have are short stocks. People are long uh, uh, long term puts. This is this is this is not going to change for a little while until um, we get some much uh, some more surprises to come out. Well, that could be retail earnings. That that could be the CPI report. I mean, there there are things on the horizon that we have to watch for. Um, typically, when we talk volatility. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, there's usually when it breaks over 30, ooh, people get a little worried. But what happens if it goes the other way and it breaks under 20? What does that tell you? Yeah, a little bit uh, a little bit too much exuberance, a little bit too much 
uh, too much bullishness in the markets. And I think that that's usually a, a lot of complacency. It's a really good time to buy some insurance because it's cheap because the market is not expecting big moves. Now, of course, again, if you get down to 16, you know, using the easy math again, the rule of 16, 16 divided by 16, the market is looking for about 1% moves on a daily basis. Well, what is 1%? You know, it could be 25, 30, 30 points. The market gets super boring back uh, when that happens. And, you know, when it's boring, markets are market players are complacent. And that's the time to be starting to think about adding some protection. Okay. And, and you know, we've got a few weeks until Thanksgiving. And then typically it's that, you know, for individuals, it's the push to the end of the year. But we also know the markets tend to get a little quieter around that time of year. Uh, granted, we, we do have the Fed meeting on December 14th, but perhaps the last two weeks of the year could be very quiet. Do we tend to see the VIX drop to those types of levels, you know, at the end of the year, that that's that 20, that 16 to 20 level? Uh, yes, we do, except back in 2018 when, when the Fed was uh, really uncertain about Fed policy there and they started uh, pulling back on the reins and then raising interest rates. That happened for about a couple of weeks and then we, we battled right back at the beginning of the year. So, uh, and the VIX started to head lower again. So yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, as, we, uh, as we head into the holidays, especially after Thanksgiving, we see volatility start to subside. We see fewer people participating, a lot of people going on vacation and just you know throwing in the towel for the rest of the year. And we might see that sort of thing happen again. Now, I, I know you tend to watch the institutional money quite closely. Uh, they tend to wrap the year Oh, right, right about now, and they tend last to lock week. in their gains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's really like about that last week of October that they wrap the year, and you know, it's possible that they could be in very much a wait and see mode between now and the start of January. Get a little more information, get more whether it's inflation information, or retail earnings, or or whatever it is. Um, is that another reason to think that that uh, year end complacency is likely to emerge yet again? Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we head into the new year, you know, I mean, liquidity is still a challenge right now. You know, as, as the Fed continues to sell bonds um, and reduce their balance sheet, um, we have a lot less liquidity out there to, to jump in and, and for people to, 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 to buy stocks and make a friendly environment to, uh, to go along. So I think, you know, as, as, uh, as I always used to say, if stocks aren't going up, they're probably going down. <laughs> I hate to sound like a simpleton there, but you know it, it's there, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, if uh, you know people aren't buying stocks, they're selling them. So you know, if the you have to pay heed to that, and um, you know, uh, I, I think that um, certainly a complacency is going to feed into if, if if it gets a little bit too excessive, you're going to see a lot of selling coming in at the beginning of January again. Okay. Last two questions, and I'll answer them myself as well. Uh, if uh, if you look out the next couple of days before we tape the next podcast, what is the one thing you'll be focused on? Um, I'm going to be watching um, the reaction to uh, to uh, CPI. I know, of course, that comes out on Thursday, um, and I'll be interested to see. Um, I'll be watching the, these midterms and uh, uh, seeing how they, uh, the the uh, public responds to these things. You know, hopefully, uh, there's not going to be any. Any violence, I, I, you know, certainly don't want to see any anybody get hurt. Um, but you know, you you never know. There's a lot of crazies out there who don't who don't really um, really understand how our system works and um, of democracy here. But you know, I'm, I'm going to be watching that, and I think it's going to be an interesting uh, interesting election. There's a lot of um, lip service going around these days, a lot of hyperbolic um, language and so forth, just to get everybody all 
and get their adrenaline flowing. But then once that's over with, um, it'd be interesting to see how that um, how that falls through. I agree. Um, you know, I'll be watching uh, retail earnings largely because I'm curious to see what the expectations are and how that translates into overall earnings expectations, both for all of 2022, but also what it sets the stage for on 2023. Okay, so that's the one thing to watch. Here's the last question: the one stock to watch for the week, Bob. What is it? Well, um, I got to be watching Apple, right? Because Apple came out today and talked about their slowing down on their uh, iPhone uh, building and, um, you know, took their numbers down a little bit. We heard back in China that the facility that uh, creates the, makes the iPhone, I think they had a COVID shutdown, Chris, last week. Was mm-hmm, that right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that, you know, that, 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 that facility on. you're talking, that, that facility you're talking is about, it's supposedly about half of iPhone production. So it's a big number. No, it's a big number. And then, you know, we're, we've seen some of these, uh, um, maybe some people have thought there was a washout in the semiconductor stocks, but I, I you know, and there's there's a lot of those companies that feed into the iPhone, and and uh, we'll have to see how that uh, because coming we are a, a big shopping season coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, you know people want to want to buy buy products, and uh, you know then uh, if they're not available, you know they're they're probably just going to step back and say, well, you know what, I don't need it right now. I'll wait until 2023. Okay, so the stock that I'll be watching for this week is PepsiCo, not because of PepsiCo itself, but because a key competitor for its snacking business, Utz Brands, will be reporting. Now, we have, you know, there's a number of, not a number, but a decent amount of uh, publicly traded companies, Coca-Cola, Dr. Pepper, uh, and the like for its beverage business. But on the snacking side, there's only like, you know, two or three, and Utz is one of them. I'm curious to see what they say about how their business is performing, uh, inputs of cars, and whether or not they might mimic what Coca-Cola said and say, hey, in 2023, we could see a larger than usual price increase. I think that would be a great catalyst for our PepsiCo shares. And even though we don't own Utz, I have to say, I'm a huge fan of the crab chip. <laughs> Those are delicious, aren't they? <laughs> they, um, I, I, I will say that, uh, you know, that, you know, that thing where you, like you're at the end of the bag and you kind of open it up and hold it above your face to catch every, yeah, exactly. To catch every last drop every time, <laughs> every time with the crab chip. So, okay. Um, anything else, Bob, before we get out of here? I think that's it, Chris. We covered a lot of, st- covered a lot of ground today. Uh, I think the one thing maybe to tease is we might, we might have a very different AAP members call in December. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be in a different location. Could be. Well, we could be. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, let's just say that um, viewers won't have to be looking at maybe so many screens. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, AAP members, thanks for tuning in. If you got any questions, uh, comments, things you want us to talk about, whether it's in the alerts or uh, the round duns, the, the round duns, <laughs> the, the rundowns, the uh, roundups, or the AAP podcast, please send us a note at aapclub at the street.com.